Welcome back, everyone. We've got a special Locked On crossover episode for you guys today. This is John Chick with Locked On Rangers, joined by Sarah Avampado of Locked On Kings. Sarah, how are we doing today? Not too bad. Looking forward. Well, actually, no, that's a lie. I'm not looking forward to this game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the Kings are in a little bit of a slump recently. And, you know, kind of a general question I had for you here just about the Kings. You know, you look at this team, you kind of look up and down the roster, and a lot of the guys, and now granted the Stanley Cup winning team was about six years ago now, but a lot of the guys are still there, and yet this team just continues to struggle. Is it just a case where they've kind of just gotten older and just declined a little bit? Or, or what's going on just kind of in general there with the Kings? I think some of it is, like you said, of players just aging and declining. You know, Andre Kopitar still continues to be the best guy on the team, um, which is saying something at the fact that he's one of the older veterans on the team. But, you know, the sort of supporting cast of guys like Dustin Brown, uh, Jeff Carter, like they're not quite performing the same way that they did uh, back in 2012 and 2014. And that's just a, a fact of life. But I think the bigger issue is that they don't have the same kind of supporting cast that they did uh, during those cup years. The depth is not there anymore. And yeah. part of that, you know, is just a function of the fact that the Kings made so many trades in prospects and picks and everything uh, during those years to get those cups, which I think that no one would regret. No one would say, oh, we'll take one of those cups back. Like, you know, we don't, we don't need it. Um, but so for a very long time, they have not had younger players coming up to the system. They haven't been developing their own players because they just haven't had any. Uh, and so I think the biggest problem right now is just that they don't have the skill up and down the lineup anymore because they're, they're just, the players aren't there and the guys that they have are kind of lower draft picks. Um, you know, the fact that they're in the NHL and they're performing admirably is great, but they're not getting the same kind of depth scoring that they used to uh, because the roster just doesn't have those people on it. Now, do you think that maybe the front office has almost been loyal to a fault with some of these guys? Because, you know, maybe you could make the argument that as recently as, you know, two years ago around there, maybe they should have started rebuilding, started shipping out some of these veterans while they could still get something back for them. But maybe there was a hesitance on the part of the front office because, hey, a lot of these guys were here for at least one Stanley Cup, if not both of the Stanley Cups that the Kings won. I mean, do you think maybe that the front office just kind of clung a little too tightly to, to these guys that had won the cup here? Oh, absolutely. And I think that's one of the major reasons why Dean Lombardi doesn't have his job anymore with the Kings yeah. is that he was far too loyal for far too long to guys that um, could have been moved out. He gave contracts that were way too big to guys uh, based on, you know, past performance. And, you know, it, it looked nice at the time, but everyone knew that, you know, a 32, 33 year old Dustin Brown is not <laughs> going to be, you know, living up to that contract. And these big, these big contracts are impossible to move. Um, you know, Jonathan Quick, we have all seen the kind of slow decline. I think he's still a good goalie, but he's not the same guy that he was before, but he is going to be impossible to move. Um, and that's why they, the Kings just had to make their trade to move Jack Campbell um, to kind of open up some room uh, in their goaltending. Um, but yeah, they definitely just 
gave out too big contracts and were too uh, wary or too, you know, sentimental to move guys who were, you know, fan favorites, big players on those cup teams. And now we are stuck with a whole bunch of guys uh, underperforming for the amount of money that they get, um, you know, through no fault of their own. I would never have told Dustin Brown to not take that contract. You right. Know, so if someone's going to give you a ton of money, you take it. Um, but yeah, I think that is probably one of the primary reasons Dean Lombardi lost his job is because he was loyal to a fault to guys, which is nice in a business that is very much, you know, cutthroat and, you know, not really caring about players' lives, essentially, you know, just trade a guy in the middle of the night, you know, um, which was not, you know, Lombardi was like, no, that's my guy. He's here forever. Like, okay, great. But (laughs) you've now kind of, we need a couple of young players in here. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Right. We've now kind of hamstrung the team. Um, So, I think that he kind of had the win now mentality and then never really shifted when it became apparent that win now was not going to happen anymore. And now, you know, players who we probably could have moved two, three, four years ago um, cannot be moved anymore. So it's it's just riding it out now. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, I've done a couple of crossover episodes with some of the other Locked On hosts. You know, I talked to Joe DiBiase from uh, Locked On Sabres the other day and Nolan Bianchi from Locked On Red Wings. And, of course, with the Red Wings, it wasn't so much about winning the Stanley Cup toward the end of that that crazy streak that they had. They had the 25-year streak of making the playoffs. But he thinks, and and we all know what a mess the Red Wings are right now, and he thinks that, you know, that front office kind of clung a little bit too tightly to just keeping that playoff streak alive because, when you look at the last few years there where they were they were still making the playoffs, they were no threat whatsoever to, to win the Stanley Cup. They would get into the playoffs and they would pretty much just go down in the first round. And then the Sabres, you know, I was talking with uh, Joe DiBiase from Locked on Sabres. And we, we got into some of these teams like the Kings and like the Blackhawks. It probably should have blown everything up. But, you know, you look at the Blackhawks have won the Stanley Cup a bunch of times. And, you know, the, the Kings have the two Stanley Cups. And I don't know, I, I guess maybe in hockey, maybe more so than other sports, these GMs just kind of get attached to the players. Maybe it's a little bit more of a, a family business because, you know, in other in other sports, it's very much a what have you done for me recently kind of uh, kind of a business. And here, you know, you do see these teams kind of hang on to players, but we're also kind of seeing why maybe you shouldn't do that and why you kind of have to, you know, not let emotions come into your decisions as a as a front office. Yeah, and I think the the Penguins are actually kind of a really good example of that. I grew up in Pittsburgh, so the Penguins are actually the team I've followed longest in my life. But, you know, they somehow, against all odds, have just kept winning and succeeding, you know, and the guys that they have kept have basically been, you know, Sidney Crosby, Evgeny Malkin, Chris Letang. And like yeah, everyone, they have made, that's pretty much it. And they have, you know, found supporting pieces uh, to really help bolster the team. And they, you know, didn't do too much to trade away futures and still have managed to be, you know, back-to-back Stanley Cups, like competitive every year. This year, like everyone is injured and there's still, you know, some guy you've never heard of has 50 points because he's playing next to Malkin. Like they have managed to find a way to do that. And I think every team thinks that they can be the Penguins and that they can, you know, be competitive and, you know, year in, year out while still paying your, you know, your big guys, big money, but they have managed to find a way to to do it that other teams have not been able to replicate uh, partially because they have been a little too, a little too precious about not wanting to move out guys because they yeah. mean something like Pittsburgh said goodbye to Marc-Andre Fleury. Like, yeah, yeah. You I mean, it's bigger as, than that. <laughs> and, and, you know, Matt Murray kind of took the reins there and became the goalie, but he hadn't really uh, gotten going that much in his NHL career to that point. And then, of course, he had the expansion draft 
with the Knights coming into the league. And obviously, whichever goalie they didn't protect was very likely to be on his way to Vegas. And they pretty much said, like, uh, you know, sorry, Mark, but uh, we got this new guy now. We'll, we'll see you later. Yeah. And, I, you know, I'm just I'm trying to imagine, like, the Kings having done that. Like, <laughs> you know, the guy that yeah. they lost in the expansion draft, like, Braden McNabb, like, they're well, no better or no worse off without him. He just, he's a guy, you know? It, yeah, yeah. And it, it's funny because with the Rangers, it's almost kind of the opposite. I mean, they've been pretty, like, I, I don't want to say cold, but they have not been hesitant about, you know, moving on from players, beloved players, guys who are a part of a lot of deep playoff runs. Of course, they played the Kings in 2014 in the Stanley Cup Finals. But they pretty much looked at it and said, listen, we can't just wait around here for these guys to get old and for their, their play to fall off a cliff here. We got to start rebuilding this thing. And the thing that I've liked about the Rangers, it, they, they've gone all the way with it. They haven't, like, done this thing halfway. They have moved on from some very popular players, brought in some, you know, young prospects, some draft picks, all that good stuff. And they're now the youngest team in the NHL. And yes, they have struggled the last two years. And this year, it looks like it's going to be probably in all likelihood. I mean, I'm not going to completely give up yet, but I, I think they probably will miss the playoffs. But if they have to not be in the playoffs for a couple of years to eventually put together a Stanley Cup uh, type of a team, then I'm all for it. You know, you can't do these rebuilds halfway. Otherwise, you just kind of get caught in between. And then you end up like the Red Wings. You know, you're a fringe playoff team for a few years. And then the next thing you know, your entire team is made up of guys with bad contracts and guys who are getting old and declining and prospects who aren't there yet. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think with the Rangers, it's almost a little bit the opposite of what some of these other teams have done, where they've kind of just been, you know, very machine like, like, OK, we got to get these guys out of here so that we can get younger. Yeah, the Rangers have actually been the team that I, you know, whenever I'm talking about teams doing rebuilds, uh, the Rangers are the ones that I use as the example of like total transparency, really, from ownership in the front office. You know, I know a couple of years ago, there was that letter that essentially got sent out and you know, that said, like, listen, we're bad right now and we are rebuilding <laughs> and, and it is going to be bad for the next couple of years and we're doing everything we can, but this is the best thing we can do for the health of our team. And I just thought that was so, you know, I, I don't know how Rangers fans felt about it, but from an outside perspective, I thought that was so refreshing because yes. I really truly wish that the Kings would do the same thing instead of beating around the bush of like, as like Kings fans and like quote unquote insiders, like kind of know that the plan is like, yeah, we're still going to be bad this year, probably going to be bad next year. And then maybe after that, playoffs question mark um but there's so much of a like no like we just have to make some small tweaks and you know like there's there's no there's not that level of transparency and i really wish that the kings would just come out and say like what we all know is tr true is that yes there's going to be pain and yes that this team is going to keep missing the playoffs but like please stick with us and please like believe in us and i think that that would go a lot longer, a lot more towards me having faith in the front office to do the right thing and to, you know, build a team to compete for the future. But I, you know, I really appreciated that from the Rangers management to just be honest about their situation instead of like, oh, you know, it's just a little retool. Like we're just going to change a couple things. Like, no, you have yeah. to change many things. Like just be honest yeah. about it. No, that's a great point. And, you know, the one thing for me, though, that I will say is I would like to see just one of these impending free agents retained on some kind of a long term extension. And I don't think that's going to happen with Chris Kreider. Again, I'm not totally giving up on that. I'm not trying to push Chris Kreider out the door, but I do recognize that it's a seller's market. And that kind of is how the Rangers have done business the last couple of years. You know, they push out these guys with expiring contracts to continue the rebuild. But whether it's Chris Kreider or Jesper Foss or Tony D'Angelo, one of these 
impending free agents needs to stick around on a long-term deal. I would like to just see the Rangers do that with somebody. Like, because if you look at this team right now, not counting Michael Haley, who doesn't even play most of the time anyway, every single forward on this team is younger than 30 years old. And I, I guess Brendan Smith is 30 as well. But the, the question I would pose to, to Ranger management is, would it be okay to have, I don't know, maybe one or two forwards who are 30 years old or older? I think it's okay to have one or two veterans in the locker room, is it not? Yeah. And like that question has actually come up kind of recently among Kings fans is, you know, do you kind of continue with this, like one guy in one guy out sort of rebuild? Do you go full on like full crazy trade everyone who's not nailed down? Like, you know, every so often someone pops up who's like trade Andre Kopitar. And I'm like, really? <laughs> like, yeah, you, yeah. you kind of <laughs> need him. And, you know, the, there's a certain attraction to being like, yeah, we blew up our whole team. We're just going to start again. But I think that you do, you need those veteran voices in your locker room. You need the guys to kind of help shape your culture and you need, um, and I, I talked about this a little bit on locked on Kings uh, fairly recently, but you know, you, you need those guys to help guide the younger players. And you don't think that like a professional hockey player should need to learn how to be a pro from someone like they should just get it. But that's like, that's not how it is. Like in, in any of the hockey players I've ever talked to in covering the AHL and other stuff, like they love having the veterans in the room. They love having that 33 year old guy who has been, you know, all over because they can, you know, help them learn to prepare to be a pro. And even if the game has changed or, you know, that guy's too slow really to compete or whatever, um, there's still so much that they can learn from them. So, you know, I'm always a little wary of the trade everyone, trade anyone who has any history with this franchise, get rid of all of them, um, just let the like 20 year olds play. I'm like, mm, I don't think we want that. <laughs> I really, <laughs> that's not going to end how you think it will. Right. And that's actually one of the questions that I've posed on my show when it comes to Chris Kreider. And yeah, you know, I'm sure he could get you a nice return. But at what point, if you're the Rangers, does somebody like Chris Kreider, a guy who's been on the team for almost a decade now, I mean, he's only 28, but he, it feels like he's been here forever. And at what point does somebody like that, a guy who's used to playing in New York, a guy who's been on deep playoff runs, a guy who's kind of the big brother to a lot of players in the locker room, at what point is he more valuable to you as a franchise than, you know, a second round draft pick that might or might not work out or, you know, some prospect who might or might not work out? And Chris Kreider, you know, I hesitate to call him a superstar. I can't put him at that top tier superstar level of player in this league, but he's been a darn good player for this team for a lot of years. And a guy who's kind of emerged as a leader, a guy who, if he's still around, could be the next Ranger captain. And so, I mean, I'm just kind of thinking out loud here, but like, at what point is Chris Kreider more valuable to you than some other asset that may or may not work out? Yeah. And I feel like I hear that a lot from like Rangers people. I know, you know, with him, with when you guys traded Zuccarello the other year, I feel like a lot of people were like, okay, now can we bring him back though? Like, can we yeah. sign him in free agency? I was one of them. Yeah. 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 Um, because yeah, I think that there is a value to those players who know the team history, who know the kind of culture that you're trying to instill. And if he's a guy that you want to keep around because he kind of embodies what you want in your team, you know, as long as that player is on board with the fact that like, hey, you might not get to the playoffs. It might stink for a while. Like if they just want to stay there because they like it there, like, great. Like you want that guy. Um, exactly. So that'll be you know, from an outsider perspective. That's going to be interesting to watch uh, what happens with him. For sure. And, uh, you know, speaking of trades, you know, we're talking a little bit about the trade deadline and all that. Obviously, the Kings recently struck a, a trade with the Toronto Maple Leafs. They sent Jack Campbell and Kyle Clifford to the Leafs. And I looks like the return was a third round pick in 2020 and a conditional third round pick in 2021. 
Um, is this a trade that you kind of saw coming? And do you think the Kings got enough here for, for these two players? I definitely anticipated it, sort of. Um, I had expected Campbell to be moved out because they have Quick, they had Campbell, and they have a kid kind of knocking at the door in the AHL named Cal Peterson. And Peterson, this year is his last year that he will be able to pass through waivers. And so next year, if they still had three goalies of of NHL caliber on their system or on their roster, uh, Peterson would have to go through waivers to be assigned to the AHL. And everyone knows that he would have been claimed because he is a very good goaltender. So everyone knew something had to happen. And as much as parts of the fan base want Jonathan Quick to be moved, um, he's very hard to trade. His contract is huge for many years. He's not that good anymore. Uh, So, you know, I I don't think that he would ever have been a likely trade candidate and, you know, sort of some, from the same perspective of, you know, keeping a guy like Chris Kreider around or whatever, um, you know, quick is kind of Lundquisty in the respect that he's been around the league for a really long time. He's, you know, whether or not you think Jonathan quick is elite or not, whatever, but he is, you know, has, been traditionally a good goaltender um, and all of the young guys who have ever played under him talk about how great it is to play with him, to learn from him, to learn how, how he competes, to see him in practice. Like I've seen him in practice. He's like the most competitive guy I've ever seen, like just in practice. Um, I watched a drill once that they did where he wasn't playing the next game. So he stayed out late and they did a drill where it was like, you had to score 10 times on Jonathan quick. And he was so mad. He was so furious that in order for like, and like, once you scored 10 goals, you were done. Practice was over. You could go. And he was just like, you know, a goalie who takes it less seriously would probably be like, ah, whatever. Like, just let that one squeak in. He was like full on like split, like splits diving across the the crease, whatever. um, Just to not let, not let this practice be over because he didn't want to get scored on. Um, He might still be there. He might still be there trying to keep the the puck out if they, if they had to score 10 goals up to this point. Pretty pretty much. Yeah. 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 Um, And so, you know, I think that there's a value in keeping him and I think his value, you know, if you're going to trade Jonathan quick and get garbage in exchange for him, I'd honestly, you know, the Kings aren't close to the cap. It's not like they need to make money moves. Um, So, you know, they can keep him and let him be a mentor to Peterson and, you know, in a couple years, see what happens. Um, But so I expected Campbell to go. I didn't completely expect uh, Kyle Clifford to go, um, largely because he is one of the guys that they always kind of essentially say is like the heartbeat of the team. Um, You know, he's not the most skilled player, but he's definitely like hardest worker. He pushes guys hard in practice. Um, You know, anything you ever need from him, he's there for you. Um, He's always at practice, first guy on the ice, like last guy off the ice um, and just really kind of embodied the like hardworking culture that they have wanted to instill in the team and in the young, the younger players. Um, And, you know, you can learn a lot from a guy who has carved out a very good, very long NHL career, despite the fact that I think his career high in goals was like 11 or something. Um, And so it was a little surprising to see him moved, although he was an unrestricted free agent after the season. So um, the longer it took to announce a contract, a new contract with him, the more you kind of expected him to go. Um, I wish the return was more like you said there's two draft picks one is a conditional pick um, where if they re-sign Clifford or Jack Campbell wins six games and the Leafs make the playoffs so there's a whole boatload of conditions on it and then they also got uh, forward Trevor Moore who's kind of like a 
gritty, scrappy, fast fourth liner sort of guy um, who has some, you know, had really good scoring in the AHL, hasn't quite translated it to the NHL yet, um, but could kind of push some of their depth players as well. Um, I wish they had gotten more, but the goalie market is so weird that um, that may have been the best he could have done. And I think they had to make a move sooner rather than later. So, um, you know, time will tell if someone else moves a goalie and gets, you know, a crazy package for him. But um, I do sort of feel a little disappointed with the return in it, but that's um, fair. Yeah. We'll see. I'm wondering, <laughs> I'm wondering like w- the way you described Kyle Clifford, you know, the Leafs are this team, you know, a lot of people had them, you know, maybe making a Stanley cup run this season. And they're right now on the outside of the playoff picture looking in, it's, it's a team that is just pretty much massively underachieved. I mean, I don't think there's really any other way to say it, but they can score all these goals. They've got all these skill players. And I just wonder if maybe they really wanted to get Kyle Clifford as a way to kind of add a little bit of bite, a little bit of edge to their team. I mean, do you, do you think that maybe that's a possibility? Maybe that's why the Leafs were so interested in Clifford and, and kind of got him as a little bit of a throw in there. Yeah, definitely. Um, when I talked with um, Mike DiStefano, who's the host of Locked on Leafs, um, and I was describing Cal Clifford to him as kind of, you know, this gritty guy, he's not afraid to drop the gloves, he'll stand up for his teammates. Um, and he was saying that Leafs really are, they don't have that, they don't necessarily have that, like, and the kind of biggest problem he diagnosed with the Leafs was like, sort of almost an overall, overall, like lack of maturity. Um, just so many young players, a lot of guys who, you know, don't have the experience, haven't been around the league for a really long time. Um, and so I could imagine that they wanted to bring in someone known as like a locker room culture guy. Uh, and like Cal Clifford is the guy <laughs> for the Kings yeah. in, in, in that role. So I bet that that was a really huge part um, of the deal for them, not only shoring up their weak goaltending, but also bringing in a guy who can maybe help be a little bit of a like stabilizing influence for all these young kids in the locker room. Just talking a little bit more about the trade deadline here. I mean, I'm looking at the Kings, their contracts right now. I've got a webpage open with all the contracts on it and just kind of trying to figure out who could be on the move. Um, would Tyler Toffoli be an option? Because I'm, I'm seeing that he's a free agent after the season. Is he somebody that they would try to lock up long term or, or could you see him maybe being on the move before that February 24th deadline? He is 95% on the move. Okay. Um, he, he, everyone was kind of surprised he wasn't moved last year, honestly. Um, I know there haven't really been any contract talks with him and really all of the, the expectation is that he is going to be traded at some point uh, before the trade deadline. Um, whether or not you agree with that uh, as a Kings fan is up for debate. Um, but I think that he, he is someone who he's a skilled player. He's a, he's a good winger. He needs a good center to play with him, uh, which the Kings haven't always been able to provide for him in recent years. Um, especially as Jeff Carter has kind of struggled as he's dealt with injuries and gotten older. Um, but I think that Toffoli probably just needs a change of scenery. I like almost would guarantee that whatever team they put him on, uh, if they send him, the Bruins are a team that his name comes up with a lot. Um, I almost guarantee if they send him to the Bruins, he's suddenly going to score like, like it's nothing. Uh, So he is someone who almost definitely is on the move. Uh, I know that um, Trevor Lewis is another guy who could potentially be on the move, but he and Clifford both kind of filled that like, heart and soul kind of role of the team. Trevor Lewis for like eight years in a row has won the like unsung hero award for the Kings team. And I'm like, okay, if you're the unsung hero for eight years in a a row, I think that you're 
be sung hero now. Uh, but everyone kind of assumed it would come down between Clifford and Lewis. Like you don't need both of them, but you need one of them. So I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be surprised either way if they move Lewis too, just to see what happens and maybe try to get him back later. Um, but with them having moved Clifford, I'd be, I wouldn't be surprised to see them keep uh, Lewis as well. And then the other big guy who gets talked about a lot is Alec Martinez, who still has one year on his contract left, but it would be more of kind of what they did with Jake Muzzin last year of sending him somewhere that was willing to invest in him long-term and wanted someone with kind of a veteran presence to be around for a while, not just for the trade deadline. Yeah. And with Alec Martinez as a Ranger fan, uh, you know exactly what comes to my mind every time I, I hear that guy's name. Oh, yeah. So, you know, it's it'd be interesting to see him get traded. I mean, in my mind, after he does that, it's like he almost has to be a king for life. But I suppose, you know, when you hear Rangers and Kings, you can't help but think about the 24 Stanley Cup finals. And so painful, though, it may be for Ranger fans to relive this. I mean, I want to ask you about it. I mean, do you remember like where you were when when that goal was scored and was there a big celebration? Were you with friends? I mean, just just kind of take me through that as a Kings fan experiencing that if you can. Sure. So the funny thing about me is that I actually live in Chicago and have was for the longest time, you know, more closely followed the Blackhawks. And so that year, of course, was the year that the Kings had that epic playoff series with the Blackhawks in the Western Conference final. Um, And at that time, like I kind of liked the Kings, but I did, I wasn't like fully on board with them because I lived in Chicago and I was like, well, here's my hometown team and whatever. Uh, And so (laughs) oddly enough, like, Whenever I like I watched the the Stanley Cup finals uh, and as soon as the Kings won, I turned off the TV because I was mad (laughs) because at that (laughs) point I was still a little bitter about them having beat the Blackhawks. Um, Wow, that's interesting. Yeah. And then. So were you actually rooting for the Rangers a little bit in the finals? A little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Okay. (laughs) Okay. That's interesting. Get get me kicked off my show. Uh, But (laughs) my, my journey to becoming a Kings fan truly was that after they beat the Blackhawks that year, I was so annoyed by it that I started watching Kings games out of spite just to see, uh, I wanted to know how they did it. I was like, how did this team of guys like beat, you know, beat the Blackhawks? Like, how did they do it? I was just so furious. And then, as I have now learned, the longer you do something out of spite or irony or whatever, uh, slowly I ended up starting to like them. And I have a bunch of friends who are in Los Angeles who, of course, were like, ah, let me show you these highlight packages. Like, let me tell you yeah. all these stories of our team. Uh, and then I realized the day that I was defending Justin Brown from someone making fun of him that I was like, oh, no, <laughs> oh, no, it's too late. I can't turn back, but I, yeah, the year that the, the King, the Kings beat the Rangers, I was actually in Washington DC. And so I was, uh, I was traveling. And so I was, you know, streaming it online. And as soon as they all started lifting the cup, I was like, Oh, terrible. And just closed my laptop and like went to do something else. So. Yeah. I, I think by then I had turned off my TV too, but it, it's one of those things, like the thing that killed me about that series and obvious apart from the obvious, the fact that my team lost in the Stanley Cup Finals. But if you remember, the Kings went up three games to none in that series, and then the Rangers won game four, and then it goes to game five. Game five goes to overtime, and it goes to double overtime, and it's getting close to triple overtime. It's like two in the morning out here on the East Coast, and I'm I'm watching the game. I'm watching the game with my girlfriend at the time. She's now my wife, but, you know, we're just on pins and needles watching this. And the thing that that just kills you as a Ranger fan is, okay, they lose that game in double overtime, and the series is over. But can you imagine if the Rangers had won game five on the road and now they've won two straight games, and this thing is going back to Madison Square Garden for Game Six. 
I just can't even imagine what Madison Square Garden would have sounded like for that game because you're right back in it at that point. Yeah, yeah, that would have been that would have been wild. Um, I actually yeah. was in New York over the holidays and it was the first time I'd ever gone to a Rangers game um, in Madison Square Garden. And I, I was just, I, I kind of, when I travel, I like to go and, you know, I have a goal of seeing all the arenas someday. And, you know, I had never been to Madison Square Garden. So I was like, okay, I'll get a ticket. I'll go to the game. And I, I was, I was very impressed. Like I didn't know what to expect. I didn't know, you know, how the fans would be because it's kind of a down season and like people were so into it. So pumped, like, you know, they, they won the game, which was even better. Um, and so I can only imagine like that fan base that is like hungered for, for a Stanley cup for so long, like to, to get that, you know, and like Henrik Lundqvist, like someone just give him a trophy. Like, I know, um, I know, you know, I know. like I, I definitely am like someone who, you know, if it's not my team that's in the playoff, it's, if, if it's not my team that, you know, is going to win the thing. Um, I want to find the team with the most interesting story, like who, who hasn't won something that should win it or whatever. Um, and so I feel like that year, like I definitely was like, all right, the Kings already have a Stanley cup. Like let the Rangers win, like give poor Henry Lundquist an award. Yeah. He but, deserves it. You know, you know, quick already got yeah. him and, and quick won it when he was very young, his first Stanley cup. I mean, he had to be like, well, like 25 ish around that time, yeah. maybe even younger. Yeah, pretty yeah. Young, yeah. 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 So yeah, that was unfortunate, but uh, yeah, I figure we can wrap up here with a, maybe do a little bit of a prediction for tonight's game. Obviously, Rangers playing the Kings. So, I mean, do you have a final score or anything that you look to see in this game? Anything that's going to happen? Um, I do predict that the Kings will have a lead and then lose it because that's all they've been doing lately. <laughs> right? Um, they've won one of their last 10 games. That one win came in overtime. Um, and they too gave up. They, they, you know, did terribly in that game as well and just happened to win because of the magic of overtime. So unfortunately for Kings fans, I'm, you know, the Kings just have not been looking great lately. So I am uh, predicting a, a Rangers win. Um, the Kings will, they've been blowing two O leads for a while. So we'll just say that the Rangers win like four to two. <laughs> I had four to two written down as well. I, I think the Rangers steal it with an empty net or late. I get the feeling that you know the Rangers really laid an egg against the Sabres. And, you know, you might look at the final score and say, oh, well, it was three to two. But the Rangers did not play well in that game. They were down three to nothing pretty much the whole time. They scored two goals very late in the third period to make it interesting. But I get the feeling they caught an earful from Coach Quinn and they're going back to Shesterkin in that. And he's played very well. So I'm going to say the Rangers post a nice uh, four to two victory here today against the Kings. Uh, you know, fingers crossed because if they're going to entertain any hopes of, uh, you know, making the playoffs and they got to go on a little bit of run here and hopefully it starts today. I'm not going to completely give up on the postseason. I realize it's kind of a long shot, but they got to come away with two points today. That's the bottom line. Yeah. We should have two motivated teams because the Kings just laid a goose egg against the devils uh, lost yeah. three to nothing last night. So two teams kind of mad about their performance. So we'll see who, who has, who gets the better of it. <laughs> Maybe tempers flare a little bit. We get a couple of fights as well. That's always, that's yeah. always a good time. Yeah. yeah we'll see. Why not? Yeah. All right. Cool. Well, Sarah, this was a lot of fun. Uh, thanks for joining me today and uh, enjoy the game tonight. And Rangers fans, Kings fans, thanks for tuning in and we'll see you guys next time. Thanks for having me. You got it.